0: Hello, this is Michael Canfield, and thank you for joining us today on The Dog Watch, where we consider dogs, watches, life in the field, and go wherever curiosity takes us. Today on The Dog Watch, we have the pleasure of talking with Antonio Centeno, a former member of the 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines out of Camp Pendleton, who you may know better as the founder of the website and YouTube channel, Real Men, Real Style, as well as other business ventures. In this episode, Antonio discusses the green military notebook he kept as a marine officer, how he used it in one direction to keep track of daily activities, troop movements, casualties, and then turned it over and in the reverse direction documented things like his finances and notes to help him determine if he should get married. In good Antonio style, his notebook generates discussion not only about notebooks, but also a range of other subjects including Indiana Jones, management, the Eisenhower matrix, and the evolution of sharks. The featured dog on the dog watch today is the Beagle, which is a small scent hound that has a lineage that traces back to the 1500s for use in tracking small game. They are a relatively small dog, topping out at just over a foot tall, and are very friendly and make good pets. However. They also make themselves known with three distinct types of vocalizations, including a howl and two types of barks. They also have long ears, which are claimed to help their sense of smell, which is truly incredible. A recent study suggested that a set of beagles could identify the blood serum of lung cancer patients with 97% accuracy. The most iconic beagle is, of course, Snoopy. Before we start, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts so that we can get the word out about the dog watch. Thanks to Antonio for bringing beagles into the dog watch, and let's get down to our conversation. Hello, Antonio. Thanks so much for joining us today on the dog watch.
1: Hey, it's great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Well, what's it like? Are you in Wisconsin right now?
1: I am, and Wisconsin is, right now, it's beautiful, and the summer, and we're just, you know, I was out this morning, and we've got a nice, cool breeze. You can feel fall coming, but uh, but it still looks great. Today's going to be, like, 70 degrees and sunny, so uh, beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, I guess, like Minneapolis and Minnesota, it's the time to be here, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, well,
0: you know, thanks for spending some time with us today. It's a great pleasure to, to get to know you a bit and to have, have a, a chance to converse with you. I know I've asked and hope to talk a little bit about a journal you keep, et etc. But I, uh, you know, being on the dog watch and everything, I, I ha- have to ask you, do, do you have dogs yourself?
1: I do have one dog. We have a, well, you know, we like to think that she's a wiener dog, but she's only half, she's a quarter wiener dog, quarter Chihuahua <laughs> and half Beagle and uh, the other, you know, percentages, which she goes, well, her heart is just so big. And uh, yeah, she is a, she's a pampered dog, that you know, is a little bit heavy, but oh. I like to think that this is winter weight yeah. and pure energy that she has stored. And, uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) as you can tell, I love my dog.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I got a store up for that. But I
1: grew up, I grew up with like almost 20 dogs. So there's a, like, I, my mom was an animal control officer. And really? So she was the, and this is back in the, the tougher days, I think, you know, euthanasia. I mean, it was basically, you know, they put the, the animals to sleep if they couldn't get them adopted after two weeks. And she always, you know, she just hit my aunt's, had a big heart and she had a, a lot of land. So it would just be something like occasionally a dog, it seemed like every couple of weeks, would show up at my aunt's place and that would become the home. And when I lived with my aunts, it was something they were all outdoor dogs and it wasn't the, you know, the easiest life, but. Hey, we had like there were, at least at any point there were always like twenty of them wow. wandering the ranch, wow. and uh, and I would, we would go through. This is back when Walmart was just coming out with the old Roy, which is the the you know those big fifty pound bags, and I'd go buy right. that like every week, and I would <laughs> fill up two tires. Of those were the bowls, and we kept the water outside and. And, you know, this is, you know, they're all outdoor dogs, and they lived a good life, and I always had friends. Right,
0: right. So when you say your mom was an animal control officer, is that where the dogs came from then?
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. She was there at the animal control, and it was just something in Midland, Texas. You know, you just always had tons of dogs coming in, and uh, it seemed like there was always one or two that would grab their attention, and they would say, you know what, this dog, we, we just don't want it. To, to be put down we're, we're, we're bringing this dog
0: home yeah so. so you you grew up in midland texas midland texas yeah. wow
1: next I, to odessa texas which, yeah i know uh, where, yeah <laughs> i know
0: where that is only because i grew up in midland michigan and i always found for some reason i knew there was a midland texas yep. <laughs> and uh it's a sort of it's not exactly a sister city but i it's funny that um
1: and then you go over to england and you find out there's Midlands over there, <laughs> yeah, a that's whole right. area. and you're like, oh, maybe we didn't, maybe we didn't come up with that name. You
0: know, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Like a lot of things we didn't come yeah. up with. So, well, thank you so much uh, for, for spending a little time. And I, you know, I think many of the listeners will be familiar with your current activities and both, you know, and, and your previous activities made to order clothing, your presence at RMRS and, you know, we're going to be discussing a little bit about the journal that you kept while you were in the Marines. So I'm wondering if you can give us a bit of a, um, you know, the story of how you came to be a Marine and kind of what led you to that and and where you were in the Marines, what your position was.
1: Sure. I served the majority of my time in the Marine Corps. I spent five years with 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines based out of Camp Pendleton. And It's a unit, very storied unit, been around for a long Mm -hmm. time. Uh, Prior to that, I was actually going through the flight program. That didn't work out. I blew out my sinuses in a T-34 doing a penetration dive. Uh, And I joined the Marine Corps because my brother, was an enlisted Marine, and he had served during the Gulf War. And I was always impressed. My father had served in the Army. He actually, uh, you know, come to find this out later. It's, I'm going through a closet, and I find he got a, uh, you know, as an E3, picked up a, uh, it was at a Bronze Star for, you know, some crazy combat stuff over in Vietnam? Uh, but, you know, these are things like you start to learn about your family. And uh, he actually got his citizenship. There's no picture of my father. Uh, there, there are here or there are pictures of him serving, but I remember he was going to get his official uh, Army photo. or they would fly him out to Australia and they would help him get a citizenship because he had emigrated over from Mexico when he was 10. Hmm. And he was like, you know, I'll just become a citizen. So uh, so that's what he did. And uh, I, I look back at my uncles, uh, Air Force. I mean, I've had family in pretty much, I think, every branch except for the Coast Guard, which love our coasties, you know, great, great guys over there. And That's what I actually recommend a lot of young men check out the Coast Guard. So many opportunities. But I had a great time. Um, a lot of people – you, know, you hear different stories. For me, it was I couldn't have asked for you know I was surrounded by amazing peers. I was I think I went in the Marine Corps with a chip on my shoulder knowing that I didn't know how to defend myself. I didn't know how to fight. I felt like I was a skinny kid coming out of college that' had kind of gone down the wrong path of I was a really good in academics when I entered college and left high school and I just used college to party and have a great time, which is I did pick up social skills. And I learned a lot. Of, I did study evolutionary biology, but I uh, I think I like I picked up a lot of bad habits. And it was the Marine Corps. I think putting me in this position of leadership, all of a sudden having to deal with adversity of getting knocked out of the flight program, uh, going to the infantry. Which, if anyone's familiar with infantry units, whether the Army, Marine Corps, you know. Um, it is just something that these are some of the roughest units. They 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 don't play around. They they tell you how it is, and you either step up or you step out. Or you know they. And it's something that uh, I'm happy to say that I improved. I was never the best officer. I was. I mean, I was surrounded by people that were just incredibly inspiring. But I do feel that I made huge progress. And a big part of that was actually my journal and learning to journal. And it was something I learned that all officers who had, excuse my language, had their, their, I'll keep it PG, had their stuff together, uh, they journaled. Not Hmm. in the sense of like writing down their thoughts, although some did. Most of them journaled simply because it was more about, hey, I need to know what I'm going to do today, write it down. And this is 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003. Computers, we had them. But people didn't have the – they didn't have the reliance. It was well before the iPhone. And even then, you – I think I would expect Marine officers and staff NCOs still today to carry around their green notebooks as we call them. And these green notebooks are just where you can very quickly write down the order of the day. You can write down the five things that your commanding officer or your, you know, your staff NCO just told you you need to get done and you're going to make sure you do it because you realize very quickly when you are in charge of other people maybe as an individual you can keep all your thoughts aligned but when you start being responsible for others or you've got things that people's lives are depending on you better get this done and you there you there could be no mistake here if they said this needs to be done by 14:20 don't no it don't do it you know it, you can't <laughs> You can't not miss that time. You can't miss that time. You've got to nail it. Right. And, uh, and that's the beauty of when you write things down. I learned very quickly. It's much better than my flawed memory.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. So you said you've got these green notebooks. Did someone sit you down at the beginning and say, here's your green notebook. This is what you do with it. Here's how you take notes or I wish it was
1: that simple. It was more of like I screwed things up And then I had I had somebody pull me aside and chew me a new asshole And (laughs) basically and I realized I can't make mistakes like this and You know, no, it was it was you looked around you you saw what the top dogs the the people that had their stuff together I had a staff sergeant uh, That was amazing. The guy had four kids uh, was never late maintained and he ran the shop until I could get my stuff together, which is really six months when I showed up to that infantry unit. And he just made things happen and he kept meticulous notes. He wrote down everything. He was, you know, I looked at my commanding officer uh, at the time, Lieutenant Colonel Craparada. and now he's like a three-star general in charge of Marine Corps, F- Forces Pacific. You know, this guy, everything was taken notes. My executive officer, Major Lee, uh, you know, now uh, Colonel Lee, um, formerly he's recently retired, he um yeah he, he he they all had these green notebooks and it was like okay just get me one and i start. you started doing this this was just something and even a lot of the uh you know the junior marines you know these are you know e2s e3s they would carry around smaller notebooks that would have very simple things like just just what they need to get done, their checklist of what should be in their pack because they're going to go on a, you know, a forced march, uh, you know, once in the infantry units at least a couple times a month, you're going on a forced march. And this is, you know, there's orders of what needs to be in your bag and you go through and you kind of – you could say you know this by memory, but you learn very quickly that if for some reason your unit wants to be hard charging and decides, hey, we're going to throw in some extra weight. well if all the, you know, a mile in, if they have everyone dump their packs and you don't have that stuff, guess what? You know, you're running back and then you got to catch up and make that time up. So, you know, the, you just don't want to mess up. And that was, I, I think it was, a, I wish somebody would have explained this stuff to me, but I think that human beings, we, unfortunately, we have to learn sometimes through <laughs> yeah. that experience. Yeah. it, as much as we try not to make the mistakes of others, um, we oftentimes, uh, yes, we need that little smack in the smack in the backside.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, you know, as a naturalist and biologist in graduate school, I kind of went through a similar thing where I, I was doing research, et cetera, and felt like I needed a notebook. But it it wasn't something where you know, in the beginning of graduate school, they sit you down and say, "Here's how you keep a notebook," or here's "How a naturalist would keep a notebook." Um, you kind of learn by yourself and uh, by trial and error. And I think you're right. There's a certain amount of it that's helpful, but it's, it's also even in these conversations, good to learn about what other people have done and learn from it. Um, I'm also kind of curious to hear a little bit more about what that note, like what the notebook is, like, you had one that you you know have, have talked a little bit about publicly, et cetera. And I'm just curious, was that the only one? or is that a one of a series? And can you just describe you say it's a green notebook?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, the green notebook I carried, it was one that would fit inside my cargo pocket on my right leg is where I remember carrying it. And, it's approximately – it's got a hard book. This was actually – they're issued – they came in different styles and it changed uh, in my five years throughout the Marine Corps. But, these were just tougher books. Uh, Basically, small little journals. They've got really a light green to a medium green, dark outside. Anyone that has served in the military, we know about these because they're basically just their standard, not issued, but they are something that you can buy from the PX or your unit would 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 pick them up for you, especially if you're a staff NCO or an officer. Um, But they measured about probably four inches wide, six and a half, maybe seven inches high, and it would have in total maybe a hundred. 80, maybe 80 pages to 100 pages. I'm not sure exactly. And it would just have lines going across. Sometimes you'd get one that are blank pages, but most time you wanted lines just simply because you're writing in them the majority of the time. And then you make it your own. Usually you at least put your name on it so that if you're to misplace it, they know where it goes. Uh, I remember on one of of my favorite ones. I took I got one of our stickers from Third Battalion First Marines, which was from Guadalcanal, uh, or it's got the which is our First Marines uh, earned a lot of their you know their ribbons and and their uh, stuff during the Battle of Guadalcanal uh, during mm-hmm. World War II. But uh, there's BLT Battalion Landing Team, uh, and then there's Death Before Dishonor. So we had this one with like a skull and crossbones, and I I just you know when you're when you serve in the military you, you get into all these like very. Uh, you, well, you just love skulls for some reason. Maybe pirate, <laughs> pirates in the military. We just love skulls, but uh, you know, we put it on there, and I just loved the way it looked. That being said, um, it was really about using it, and I would on the front of it. I usually it was every single day I was starting a new one. Like if I if I didn't have if I had only used three lines, I would just write a line, and then write, I would usually write the date, and then I would write down the things that need to get done. It was really That simple. Now, other times and I talked about the order of the day in the military we have – it depends on where you're at, but at the time that I was carrying this, I was – this was during the uh, initial invasion in Iraq. Every day would start with the order and this is basically where the staff officers, me included, we would give briefs and it was a quick within 15 minutes you knew what was going on from how many people were injured to how many people and that's important because the commanding officer needs to know what his strength is from how, where the units are. You, know, you don't really always know where the units are at. That's not info that's always shared, but, you know, their their position, what, what do they need, what needs to get done. And so, all of a sudden, I would, what needs to be done for me would start to go into more detail and I would start as a staff officer uh, I was the adjutant specifically I was in charge of you know any type of medevacs I was in charge of people coming in making sure that we got reinforcements uh, I you know for me it was also about making sure that certain things were tracked uh, any type of things that could be uh, I was also by default the legal officer so if we ran into any issues that looked like this could be a war crime this could be something I had to keep records so I would Take people's names, but also like their social security numbers. I would, you know, that was just something that we just kept all that information. It's how we identified each other uh, throughout the military. Um, So it's actually funny going back and you start to reread some of these things and you realize, wow. I've got, you know, this, this general who's now serving, you know, at the time, uh, secretary of defense under Trump, you know, I've got his SSN. How did that happen? You know, it's like, <laughs> you just start to laugh about like what's in there and how we would pass around things. And you look at who was in your chain of command and what, in you would need this information because it was oftentimes what we used on, um, our, our fitness reports, which were, it, yeah, I'm getting right. into the weeds there, but yeah,
0: no, it's so you were there, right. And in the midst of this conflict. Right. When you were doing and taking these notes, which puts it in a different light that when you're thinking about a tool, it's not often I think people think of notebooks as even a business as sort of superfluous or just kind of like, oh, like a little crafty thing that someone might do. And but actually you're using it as a tool, which I think actually applies to business and, you know, professional life. But there, obviously, it's a life and death situation, right, where you're in the midst of really serious business.
1: Yeah. I I mean, you put it, you put it well. So
0: when you, you know, when you were keeping these notes, you had, um, information about, um, what to do today, who you're meeting, any potential things that are going on. I have just a question when you put yourself in that place, do you think you could have used a different tool as effectively? Um, For example, you know, now we have phones, we have little more little technological devices. And I'm just kind of wondering, as you look back, do you think that that if you were there now, you would tend to choose the same tool that being a notebook or you would choose some other tool?
1: I think I would choose the same tool. I mean, there were a lot of issues with electronics specifically. You could be tracked. Uh. And, I mean, we, we even had briefings like with, with the, I mean, phones were just coming out, but it was one of those things that you do not carry a phone with you at the time because you can potentially be targeted and they can, I mean, there's just, uh, I'm not an intelligence guy, but I do know that they're very crafty and there's a lot of stuff. Like, I love pen and paper and I, I look at things like a journal as a shark. A mm-hmm. shark has been around for how many hundreds of millions of years, and it is the apex of evolution in terms of a, a water killing machine. And I look at a journal as kind of like it's this apex of simplicity that gets the job done. You, ca- I could get hit by an e- e- M- you know, EMP, and, and or, or you know, it's like it doesn't, you know, those types of, uh, yeah, the journal is just going to work. Yeah, yeah,
0: and you don't need anything special. I mean, I think the other thing is. Just the level of um, engagement you have with it is very different in the sense that when you're putting that pencil or pen to paper, it's different than when you you know take a snapshot with your phone or you just dictate something into the phone. When you have to write it down, we you know from research, right, that act of writing even is, is a different experience for the brain. I also understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this journal had you sort of wrote in one direction, and then you had some personal notes in the other. So how did that come
1: about? I, I think boardroom. And, uh, <laughs> it, it's like, I, I didn't, you're sitting there. So a lot of people, you know, their, their vision of combat is what they see and what Hollywood sells. But 99.9% of the time, you are, you're just doing routine and many times you're sitting and waiting. And maybe if you're stateside, maybe if you – you know, a lot of times people will go through and they fill up their boredom time with just surfing Instagram, jumping on TikTok. I mean, that's really what those apps have solved is you have something to do when you're bored. But I do think there's a lot of value. And I think my friend Brett McKay over at The Art of Manliness has talked about simply using and leveraging. And purposely enjoying being bored for a while because it lets your mind kind of race. So, you start thinking about like what's important. You start thinking about, hey, well, what should I, you know, so I would start putting together lists. I would start putting, thinking about, hey, I'm in this relationship. I mean, one of the things that actually I broke out and it was funny to find this is should I marry this girl I'm dating right now? And you look at like I did a, you know, a a good, bad, you know, a positive negatives kind of checklist. <laughs> and I broke this out and, you know, this is just getting this off my mind, but here I am, you know, I'm deployed. I've, I'm planning on marrying this girl, but you know, as any single guy that has yet to actually say, I do on the altar, you know, you know that, Hey, this is a big commitment. You know, I, I love, I mean, I, I Love And I've been with this woman now for over 20 years, or, you know, we've been dating now for tw- <laughs> together over 20 years, but been married, uh, which I've been like 15, 16, 17, almost 17 years now. But, you know, you just realize, hey, I'm making a big commitment. And is this something I want to do? And it's just funny to find little, little things like that that,
0: yeah. So that's on the other side. So that's in the same document, but you sort of f- would flip it over yes. and write going the other direction and be like on one side have these, you know, oh, this is how many wounded came in today, et cetera. And the other side, it was like, you know, sh- should I get married? Should I not get married? Like,
1: yeah, step up. start putting put my finances together yeah. one time. I mean, it's sometimes it's very technical things. Uh, again, this is before heavy use. I, I mean, you could, I guess spreadsheets were out there, but I was not a spreadsheet junkie. Like a lot of my friends I saw at business school for me, it was, like tracking how much in student loan debt do I have? What's the interest rate? You know, all this stuff. What sh- what should I pay off? It's interesting to read about ideas I had of what 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 jobs would I want to do? You know, at the time I knew I was going to leave the Marine Corps after uh, the war. So it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do afterwards? And you start writing down. Well, what skills do I have? You know, what. Um, what things would I want to do? You know, if, and you start asking yourself these questions and just write it out. Yeah. And when you
0: look back at those things, have you, have you looked back at them and seen things that, like you, that came true or things that you look back and say, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I wanted to do that. Or I thought I might do that.
1: I don't think I ever thought like, I can't believe like I, I usually, and, and that's one nice thing. that when you know, if you assume that no one's going to read you with this, is you can be brutally honest. <laughs> yeah. And, you can I so everything in there like it I think the revelation I have had going back and rereading that is it it raises up something I haven't thought about maybe for a decade. And it's like what you know, I'm happy I wrote that down because I haven't thought about this and you know I'm not sure I'd want to do it now, but so I had one just dream idea to start a travel company or own a travel business that would allow you to go on a travel adventure. So, I always thought it was interesting like the Lost City, you know, where does Atlantis really exist? We read about this as a kid, we're all interested in it. But, there are areas where, you know, I'm like what if you actually paid and you went on a trip, but during that trip you performed some scientific research that actually could add the knowledge of researchers out there. You could actually look for the lost city of Atlantis in the Mediterranean in this area and chances are you will fail, but you walk away from this trip. Knowing that, hey, we documented this, and we're putting this body of knowledge out there. This is again mixing my science background with my. I used to want to be Indiana Jones, and I love the idea okay. of also of, of a paleontologist. But the reason reason I didn't go down the path of being a paleontologist is you realize the reality of that type of work is a lot. I mean, it's just, a lot of it is just simply like head down. You're in museums. You're out in the field. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it's not like Indiana Jones the movie. Right. So. I'm like, well, how can I get the best of both? Because I love the idea of doing research and adding value to the world's understanding of, of science and what's out there. But at the same time, I want to have a bit of adventure. And and then if you could even bring that into where you got people paying to be with you on it, right. So, so that idea is still out there for me. And I, you know, you, I don't think about that, but, you know, here we are talking about it. I haven't thought about it pretty much all year, but it just came back because, it, you know, I'd written it down. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a level of permanence there that even, I know, I think about that a lot with technological things. I mean, people have written a lot about emails versus letters, but I think it applies to notebooks too. It doesn't, since it's physical, you might actually go back to it and that it has a permanence that a lot of the technological or um, virtual communication and thoughts just tend to tend to evaporate a little bit more, even if they're in a hard drive somewhere. Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's fast forward a little bit. Like since you left the military. You went, you know have gone on to do some significant business undertakings, especially now with RMRS and and all that. How does that? journal or those experiences with journals translate into today and and how do you think about them now
1: so i don't write in journals as much as i used to i've got a few that i start up every now and then i think brennan bouchard had a great journaling system that he had put out which i grabbed it was high performance habits was his book and then he had a journal with that as well which i i bought those and, and, and i use them i like they have a bring structure to thinking about things in your day and they for they, they ask you questions which i think are really good questions uh, my friend John Lee Dumas also had his journal as well that he had put out, uh, which is really good. Um, but I do find that for me, if I journal anywhere, it's nowadays most of the time it's electronic. And it is something I it's it's not anything super complicated. I keep a master spreadsheet uh, in Google Docs. And this is one that's private only to me, call it my master organizer. And I just in different spreadsheets, I kind of lay out the things that I need to start my day thinking about. Now, do I check this every morning? No. Uh, but, I like that it's there. And, I do have when – I, when I get overwhelmed, it's really nice to be able to come back to this and to say, you know what, let's look at the priority matrix and let's truly identify what's important and what's urgent, what's important and non-urgent. And, the vast majority of other things need to fall down below because you, you know the Pareto principle. I'm sure the whole 20% that yields you the 80%. But yeah. what a lot of people don't know is the deeper Pareto principle. And that's the, the 20% of the 20%. And that's the 4% that yields you the 64%. And even deeper than that is the 1% that yields you the 50%. And I'm always pushing people to go three levels down. Uh, well, not always pushing, but you know, I, I challenge people on my team to identify the one thing, the, the one thing you can do today that if you just get that done, like it's going to bring 50% of the value. And oftentimes that thing is, you know, just sending out those emails to follow up with a sales lead, you know, and those right. are things we keep putting off. But, th- but if you can send out those emails at the beginning of your day and you bring in an extra $1,000 in sales today, like I really don't care what you do the rest of the day. That's, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Like yeah. that's exactly what we need. And it seems so simple. But I think it's, you know, what was the, the uh, Klauschwitz, uh, the great uh, Prussian uh, military philosopher, you know, he's like, war is simple, but even in the simple, it, you know, it's infinitely, infinitely complex.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I wonder, to be able to identify those things, um, for example, the 1%, when you do that, when you go in and journal, do you normally use it just as a process? So you write the stuff down and then that helps you gain clarity and then you go off on your day or do you often return to it? Cause I think that's one of the things I've noticed. Like I rarely go back to my journals once in a while, but even, you know, the last week or whatever, I don't look back. It's more of a, it's more of the process that's helpful. I'm curious for you.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the losses we get with the electronic type of note taking and stuff is that oftentimes I, at least I do, I write over my old stuff. So unless I were to go in I, I just don't always see the old stuff on that's It's, it's a great thing, but it's also, huh. I think it's great in the sense that I, I'm not caught by the past, but it's also bad because I can't go back and see the past. So, so that is unfortunate uh, in that I, that I lose that. But that being said, I really find that the value of journaling for the most part for me is getting that off of Out of my head and having that there and not necessarily going back and seeing that list again and again and again
0: and do you encourage people on your team to do it too or are you um i would just wonder how much you just kind of do it yourself like you did in the military and and if people pick it up our
1: kpis It, it, it is something that unless you've got a better system then teach us but i do so part of our key performance indicators that i can see on everyone on my team that they have to update daily is they actually do a priority matrix. and So, it's a very simple way for them to be able to – and the priority matrix is set up to identify what is it you're working on today and this week that is – and you're probably familiar with the priority matrix as well, but if, if anyone listening is not, they are also called the Eisenhower matrix. And basically, it's four quadrants and you've got it going across the top, you've got um You've got urgent and then you have non-urgent and going down, you have important and non-important. And you'll find that, you know, okay, you got to respond a message on Facebook. You know, that's probably non-important and it's urgent. And that one's dangerous because things that are non-important but really urgent scream for us to do them, yet if we do them, they take us nowhere versus things that are urgent and important like you just got to do. But one thing I stress with everyone on my team is, you should not have a lot of things that are urgent and important because what that means, if you have a lot of that, then you're not paying attention to what's important and non-urgent and you're not getting ahead. And that's where I always stress is that your important and urgent should – I'm always happy if that's – there's nothing in there because what that means is that you can be focused on things that are important and have yet to become urgent because you're, you're ahead of the game. And that's right. where I stress – I try to get people on my team to be.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah, and I think, you know, clearly uh, your military and and business school training, right? And just your perspective on how to get those things done and to use documents or to yeah, use Mike, I was uh,
1: born. I was born this morning. Really? Yeah. Now, no, there, there is some research <laughs> on that. There is some research on <laughs> intelligence and and genetics, but I was actually just reading uh, something in the New York uh, was it yeah, New York Times about that, but Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, I I'd love I'd love to say I know where this stuff comes from, but I do think that constantly surrounding yourself with people that are better than you in certain ways really forces you to get better. And, and again, my, it was, it was five years in the, I think in the Marine Corps that you're around people that are so organized and, and, and do this so well that I was forced to level up Yeah. and, when you are running a business, and now I've got multiple businesses, you just realize I can't rely on my fallible mind, my mind that thinks I did this, or my mind that can't remember a recall. And it's just so much easier when you when you put things down on yeah.
0: yeah, well, I wanted to ask you at least one more thing before um, before we run out of time. Given that the um, podcast here is about the dog watch, and we talk a lot about dogs, and you're spend a lot of time thinking about men's fashion and I want to get your take on sort of how dogs relate to style and whether you feel like there are things that are particularly stylish about um, people when they're walking dogs, particularly in the fall or or the things that you like to wear when you're out with your dog. And, and I guess, are are there stylish dogs and non-stylish dogs? I'm just curious kind of what your from your lens, like where dogs fit in as far as that goes.
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of research on how men with a dog are actually viewed as more attractive by women because it's sending a message that they can take care of. They're, they're not selfish. Basically, this right. is someone that can take care of, So it makes them come off that way as to any particular dog making you more stylish, I, I don't know. Yeah. I I, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't go, I mean, I, I, I love dogs. I just think that they are just, you know, you talk about something that can give you somebody that can gives you unconditional love and, you know, is just there for you when it seems like everyone else forgets you. <laughs> right. So, you know,
0: that's true. And I, I feel like um, that research you talked about is fascinating um, as, as far as people who, have a dog with them being being more attractive or more accessible to people um is just a fascinating set of research and also one that you know I don't think a lot of people really have approached in the way that is very rigorous, right? They they sort of have a sense or might think like, oh it's it's okay, but it's it's a pretty significant effect.
1: It is. It is. But when it comes down to it, we, you know, visually yeah, you know, we make assumptions about a lot of things. And yeah, uh, yeah. so that, that's where, you know, I, I definitely have been able to leverage my science background with the style aspect. And it's fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been fun to talk about the the journal and get a little sense of uh, how that came about for you and where it fits in your current work, which you know your your business activities are so varied and have different creative aspects. It was really interesting to hear how that came about and where it where it is right now. So I really appreciate you being on the Dog Watch and spending some time with us, and uh, wish you the best of luck as you go forward with these different uh, with these d- different things you're working on.
1: Well, thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks again to Antonio for spending time with us today and you can find him on his YouTube channel and website Real Men Real Style. As we sign off don't forget to drop by the On the Dog Watch website and also leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Our music credit today is Whiskey on the Mississippi by Kevin McLoyd, courtesy of Creative Commons. Until next time this is Michael Canfield thanking you for joining us on the dog watch.